Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, high school tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings with our mentors. Tennis is a wonderful sport which can be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors can provide the roadmap for your journey. Each week, I will be interviewing one of those mentors, coaches who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. They have authored books and papers on tennis and continue to give back today. Who are these mentors you will hear each Thursday? Well, on the first Thursday of each month is Alan Fox. And then on the second Thursday today, you always hear the great coach Chuck Reese, the legend. On the third Thursday is Dr. John Murray, sports psychologist. And on the fourth Thursday is Coach Scott Williams. You will notice all of them have authored books, have done much work, and still are given today uh, to the, I shouldn't say the tennis world, really, uh, helping with life's journey. And, of course, on the fifth Thursday when that happens, well, stay tuned and you'll see who joins our mentors. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball Network CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our tennis network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, you are missing out on useful information. I would also like to mention that the founder of the network, Jason Haynes, is now going through some troubling times with his son, Seath, who was hit by uh, a vehicle uh, a few weeks back, and uh, he's going to have a long recovery. He's, they're moving him from hospital. So please uh, keep Jason and uh, Leeds and the family in your prayers because they are needed at this time. And, of course, we all need the prayers, but this is especially uh Tough time uh, for Jason, and I know if we all pray together, we will help him uh, get through it. So, of course, the nice thing about Blog Talk Radio is that if you can't tune in live on Thursday, or I should say on Tuesday, to Lisa Stone and her parent and Asin broadcast, a great broadcast been going on for five years, or to today's guest, uh, Chuck Reese and his American tennis broadcast on Wednesdays, uh, entering uh, his fifth year too in the network. You can listen at any time you choose. And uh, of course, that's the great thing about Block Talk Radio. Excuse me. And because I believe Dr. King when he said our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday, time willing, I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges, and that high school tennis should be an after-school sport and not an after-school activity. The Almighty willing, you will also be able to continue reading my views in Florida tennis, now in its 25th year. Wow, imagine that. Thank you, Jim Marks, for all you do, 25 years. Wow. And as I previously expressed before, if you disagree with my views, please email me at Coach Denise. That's D-A-N-I-S-E dot F-H-S-T-C-A A-T-T dot net. That's Coach Denise, period, F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows? I may even share your views on the air or in uh, Florida tennis. As a matter of fact, in this issue of Florida tennis, I mentioned two of the views that we received on our radio broadcast, uh, my conversation about high school tennis. Uh, 
One of them uh, was from a gentleman in Great Britain and another one from an exchange student from Germany who uh, stated I should be happy that uh, having sports in high school that in Europe they don't have that. And I understand that, and I uh, do appreciate the sports, but I think competition has more of a value than just an after-school activity, and we will discuss that more. It's been in, uh, I discuss it often. It's been in my last couple of uh, issues. It was going to be in my next issue, but uh, uh, because of this broadcast and Ashley Hobson, uh, my next two articles in the uh, May June uh, April May issue of Florida Tennis will be uh, discussing that. Remember, if you're not subscribing to Florida Tennis, uh, or someone has taken the last copy of Florida Tennis from the Pro Shop, you can always read the last issue on our FHSTCA.org website. And you can also find my articles under the resource section. But if you go to the front page, you will see rotation there. You'll see Alan Fox come up, Chuck Reese come up, Scott Williams uh, uh, come up, Dr. John Murray, and Florida Tennis. If you hit any of those, if you hit Florida Tennis, you'll be able to read the last issue of Florida Tennis Magazine, and of course, if you hit Chuck Greasy, you will go to Chuck Greasy's uh, website. So we try to make it easy for you. Uh, we understand that the social media is um, becoming a big part of uh, tennis too. It has pros and cons that we have discussed before, and uh, maybe on another uh, time we'll discuss it again. But I. Today we're blessed to have our mentor, Coach Chuck Reese, with us, and I see he's on the network now. I don't think he needs uh, much introduction, but I am appreciative because I did ask him uh, to change uh, our discussion, which was going to be today, uh, to um, Awakening uh, the Sleeping Giant. Uh, those of you that missed uh, Chuck's show uh, yesterday, um, I really suggest you go to, I suggest you go to all his uh, Wednesday broadcasts, but it was important, and there was a lot of issues there that I felt were worth repeating, and it's hard to ask the legend to please accommodate me, <laughs> but... Uh, those of you that have been listening know that uh, I am nervy, and I do appreciate him going on. I think we're going to have a good discussion uh, today because we do have a sleeping giant in tennis, and it, uh, basically it is, uh, I've said it often, uh, tennis should go through high school uh, tennis and college tennis, uh, and I think those are the two main ingredients of the sleeping giants. And Chuck has another thing that he talks about, and that's uh, small-town tennis. So I have some questions that I do want to get into with Chuck, but let me, uh, Chuck, uh, would you please uh, take it from here for a couple minutes? Sure, John. Um, Are you hearing me loud and clear there? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Great. Thank you, and thanks for having me. I think the thing that I really would like to uh, get into, and one of the things, and this is timely, and this is why I thought this was important for today, is, you know, we've we've talked before about too many expectations from the top that everything is from the bottom up. And uh, on a previous broadcast with Ashley Hobson and talking about uh, what's wrong with tennis and uh, and giving us that they're – and what can we do, he stepped up and said he's going to sit there. He'd be willing to mentor people during his summer camps. And in the next, uh, my next two articles, uh, I was going to address problems with the USTA, problems with the FHSAA. I will get around to them, the Lord willing. Um, but I think this tied in so much to what you've been talking about, and maybe our next broadcast we'll get into your three-tier mentoring but I really think waking in uh, the tennis uh, sleeping giant is so important. John, um, 
Well, well, let me start by saying there's nothing wrong with the game of tennis. Uh, We have the best game that was ever invented for all of the obvious reasons and what it does to teach young people all the lessons of life. It's been a great entertainment tool for years. It's been a great competitive sport for years. It's something of honor. It's, it's, it's uh, just everything about it is it's a great sport. That being said, what is happening we've done to ourselves, and I wanted to start by saying that our mistake has been we get a little bit too smart for ourselves, and with computers and everything, we we don't do things often because we should. We do things because we can. And with all the information, I just think that people got a hold of computers and they started doing, uh, <laughs> they started muddying the water, you know, in the paralysis by analysis. Um, they basically uh, have anal- overanalyzed things to the point where, you know, there's nothing wrong with the sport, but. What we we did do wrong, what the USTA has done wrong, is they became marketeers instead of servants of the game and promoters of the sport, and they, they went from a service industry to a marketing industry. And the ITA is the same. The ITA is doing a very, very poor job at uh, college tennis because they're into marketing it. And so what? They, and, and then, John, number two, we have the wrong, and I'm not, there's nothing against it. I'm not running anyone personally down, but as bureaucracies go, you usually hire many people who are not the right people for the job. You hire, hire bureaucrats, not doers, not leaders. You hire number two and three people, you know, number one people hire number one people, number two people, hire number three and four people. And when you have a bureaucratic organization and people who just love to be in these organizations because they feel the importance, we used to call them, uh, I'm not going to call them, uh, let's call them locker room sniffers, <laughs> the people that like <laughs> to hang around sports. And uh, I'm not going to call it the other kind of sniffer, but snuffer, sniffer, whatever, but locker room sniffers that like to be around the sport. And um, so in tennis, it's really absurd that we do not have the Wayne Bryans, the Pat Harrisons, the Jack Sharps, the Jerry Baskins, you know, the uh, Robert Lansdorps. These people who all of us know are the best people out there, we're not using them for tennis. Those are educators, and, you know, they do some marketing. Sure, they do some marketing. If you've ever been to one of Wayne Bryan's, there's, he's the best He's the best marketer of our sport in the right way I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, making the sport a popular sport. But, but the point, my point being is that once you go to the marketing in the sport in the USTA, what they do is how many people are playing. How many people are playing this level of tournaments? Hey, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need to have this program to try to get more people of this people playing. Da, 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 da. And guess what? Let's change the fabric of the. Here's where I go, John. Let's. I know our sport is 142 years old, and we've always honored the principles of the sport. But let's go ahead and change the scoring system because. Maybe a nifty little change or crease in the scoring system will bring another group in that doesn't quite understand the nuances and the the depth of the sport. And, by the way, our kids only have an attention span now of an hour or so, so let's make this sport, well, when you dumb it down, you see where it goes. Easier to pick up becomes easy to put down. Hard to pick up is hard to put down. So with that, John, I wanted to start by saying there's nothing wrong with our sport. Now, we can still save our sport, but I think people need to get up in arms a little bit, and uh, we need to protect the essence of our sport, and that's the scoring system and the integrity of our sport, because in the end, you don't have anything. You're going to lose me. You're going to lose the Wayne Bryans. You're going to lose the, you know, the Robert Lansdorps. You're going to lose the anybody who cares about this sport is not in it. 
<laughs> for the fast flash, you know. So anyhow, with that, what what I wanted to talk about the sleeping giants, John. The sleeping giants, the things we could do a couple things. And first of all, they're sitting right there. The giants are sleeping. We need to wake them up. I wanted to make a comment. You said that one of the guys from your call said, well, you've got high school tennis there. We don't have high school tennis in Europe. But, but let me tell you what Europe does have. They have a club system where we have churches and schools and we try to play our sports out of the schools and things, they have club systems. And their club systems are competitive to the place where they do not have governors on the engines in the form of rules, regulations, and everything that are over the top. Uh, Our bureaucrats try to make everything so fair for everybody and politically correct for everybody We're not chasing excellence in high school tennis. We are no longer chasing excellence in college tennis. Uh, College tennis is dead, John. It's, it's, uh, It's dying. It just needs to be put out of its misery pretty much. It's, it's, it's about gone. And the new, this ITA organization is not doing, they, they, you know, they're, they're making a lot of noise and, and trying to act like they're doing stuff, but what they're doing is, laughable at best with the scoring system and with some of the things that they're doing. So let's start with so where we are playing. Some are. of the social media right now, it seems as though we're playing defense. So many arguments and on there if they don't like what's going on in college tennis, but let's not, we might lose a couple more school, uh, well, schools. We, we don't. We don't. Well, no, 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 you know, we have no philosophy no more, and we've lost our philosophy. And I think you need to get into a little of that. Well, let me let me, let me make a couple comparisons. Think of the masters in music or art or anything. I once asked a professional artist, and this guy was, I said, he, he was struggling. He said, I only get two or three commissions a year, and his art was fantastic. He has gallery art and things. And I said, well, you can't make a living. Are you ever thinking about doing commercial art? He says, once I go commercial art, he says, I'm done. Because then I I dilute, pollute, prostitute my craft. Well, the same thing is true with music. The minute a musician goes towards what is the hype and marketing, they dilute, pollute, and prostitute. I mean, it's like an opera singer that tries to go pop or something. Yeah, they've got these wonderful voices, but there, there's the curse right there. And our sport is right there. Our sport was something of class, something unique, something very special. And once you go to marketing route and the marketeers, you're done. You're done because you basically dilute, pollute, prostitute. And, and, uh, John, it's, uh, it's, it's appalling to me because I've been in sport tennis 47 years. No, I've, I've been teaching 47 years. I've been in the sport 50, gosh, 52 years, something like 50, no, 54 years. And so to me, tennis has always been uh, something that's honorable, something great, something that unites you around the world with a, with a great class of people. So anyhow, just a couple comments there. Remember, in, in, in Europe, they don't have all the restrictions. I wanted to make sure I made that point because they go through clubs. We have schools. Our schools, our high schools, are sleeping giants because of the structure that's already set up. But what happens is the handcuffs are on all of the coaches. The handcuffs and the governors are on the engine of all the kids. So kids, basically, your best kids, we all know that, your best kids don't play high school tennis because there's no way to get better. You, you want to become a bad tennis player, you play high school tennis. You want to, you, you know, you have a bump and, giggle, bump and giggle time. You know, you have a nice outing, let's have some birthday parties and sing Kumbaya together. But in college, tennis is becoming the same. And uh, I have the statistics to back it up. We have nobody can, if you want to, if you're an American youngster you want to kill your career you go to college 
And the reason we have so many international students is all of the single A baseball, excuse me, single A tennis players, double A tennis players from around the world, they've already played professional tennis. What they do is they figure out, hey, I can't make a living. I only made it to 400 in the world. Time to go to college. So let's go over and take a USA scholarship from one of the kids from the USA. Those green hardened kids from the USA are 17 years old and, you know what? I bet a coach will give me a scholarship over them because I got to 400. And now they have even have a rule, John. Instead of instead of calling out all the pros and saying they're ineligible, they have a rule now. You can make up to ten thousand dollars. You can make up to ten thousand dollars and still be eligible to play college tennis. Unbelievable. I mean, so if you're USA kids. Just look, in the last 10 years, we've had uh, 100, year, 100 kids a year minimum on the boys' side, 100 kids minimum on the girls' side go to college. That's 1,000 kids. Now, you tell me how many out of the 1,000 kids, really it's more like 2,000 kids, have been able to make the top 100 in the world that went to the college route. None, I mean, if you can count 10, I'd like to hear their names. I'm talking USA-born players. No, I'm I'm not saying right now we have two. We have two. We have John Isner and we have Steve Johnson. That's it. On the women's side, we have Nicole Gibbs. Name another. We don't have them. You know, in the mid-'80s, we had as many as 41 out of top 100. College was a training ground. So, anyhow, but now, part of the problem with high school tennis is the same problem, I think, is with college tennis, and that's that two-match form that you, you said about players not getting any better. Uh, is that what you're talking well, about? Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the solutions here. And, um, I, you know, I just want I don't want to just point out the bad things, but we need to – people need to be aware of – the terrible job we're doing in high school tennis, not coaches, I'm talking develop player development in high school and the terrible job we're doing in college as far as player development. And the reason, the number one reason, number one reason, the format of dual match tennis, John. And you, would you like to go there and talk about that and why it's a – hindrance to player development instead of a asset? I think we should, Coach. I really think that's important. And uh, I, I, I think unless we get more people understanding the reasons, uh, it's going to be a harder sell. Okay. So um, dual match tennis is basically a great format for participation tennis, for young kids to meet each other, for old ladies and old men in the third of 3.5 leagues to get together and play each other and they can play the league tennis. It's a nice participation activity when your career is over or when your career is just starting. However, it does not help you develop. And I've uh, got a lot of uh, coaching dual match tennis. I've coached over 1,300 dual matches in my life, my career, and um, I'm the biggest, oh, I love the team deal and getting the team together and all that. But as far as the format, it does not develop players. And the reason why is it because it locks you into a position. It locks you into a, like a number, one, two, three, four, five, six in college. I think some of the high schools only have one, two, and threes, and then they play doubles or something. But but here's, here's the deal on in it. Florida, some are six different states well, are different. Well, the, the bottom line is you're locked into a position, so you always play that level. And um, first of all, you don't get to play enough. That's that's the very obvious thing. It's um, laughable to think that you get to play in college. You can play 65, 66 baseball games, but then they tell you that you're only allowed to play 25 tennis matches it's it's it really is laughable there's no way to get better 25 no ad tennis matches it's 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 uh just impossible and i don't think coaches are trying to get players better they're just going recruiting now overseas and things 
So anyhow, let, let me let me uh, start by saying the biggest reason is you're locked into a position. In other words, you might be at a number one position, you might be at a number six position, but you're locked into that position. That being said, when you play tournament tennis, you typically if you have a draw of 64, for example, the first two rounds you'll play somebody that's at the lower level that you're usually better than. The middle rounds, the round of uh, 16 and the round of 8, you would play somebody that is your level, and usually the last two rounds you have a chance to go forward. Now, every coach that schedules a lot will tell you that the one-third, one-third, one-third uh, mentality, not mentality, what I want to say, the procedure of scheduling a third, a third, a third is the best way to schedule. Uh, always schedule a third of your matches out there. Coaches are listening to make sure your players get a win. A third of the time you can schedule up a third of the time at your level at tournament, a tournament play. You can get all of that in one weekend or one week or whatever in tournament play. So tournament Tennis allows an individual to grow exponentially. In other words, the the high end is you have a Melanie Dan about seven or eight years ago. She gets hot at Wimbledon and she gumps through the draw and bang, boy, there there she there her career takes off and then she does the same thing at the U.S. Open and in one week, one week she knocks it out of the ballpark and she grows exponentially. However. When you lose in a, a tennis tournament, you fall only arithmetically because you you lose the first round, you move on, play the next one, you lose, move on, move on, move on. The losses only take you down arithmetically, but the winning helps you grow exponentially. Now, dual match tennis, you can win match after match after match. My number one player can be six and four. I can preach all I want to my number one player. Look, man, you're playing a player who's equivalent to about a futures player, second round of a futures every match at number one. But if he goes six and four, it's like, what the heck is going on? It's like it's you don't advance, and you always have the nail-biter match. You never have the breather. You don't get, you don't get the confidence-building wins, and you always are playing – Rubber band, get, you're always tightening the loose, the noose, the pressure. Everybody says, well, you're playing a good player all the time. No, no, you're always playing tennis where you're never able to run to the open field. It's always the wrong kind of pressure. It's, it's a good pressure one-third of the time, but you're not playing the other level. So you only grow arithmetically. But when you fall, when you lose two or three in a row and let the team down, you lose exponentially. So, uh, you know, so it's, it's as your team gets better, too, you have very good players that are playing too low for their level. And if you're trying to build a team, the opposite is true. You're trying to build a team and you have players that have to play too high and they just get beat match after match after match, and that's not good either. So my point is tournament tennis is the way to go. Now, how do you do that? Well, a hybrid probably is the best way to do it. Texas has a great format. They play, um, play dual match tennis five or six weeks in the fall. Then they play tournament tennis the rest of the year. I've proposed this to the ITA, those guys, but they can't. You know, they've, they're locked into a different paradigm. Uh, the, those Ivy League guys and the northern teams are locked into a paradigm. They, they don't it, – it's, it's, it's just mind-boggling. But basically, the tournaments, they'll say, well, we have tournaments in the fall. But the fall are very dumbed-down tournaments. They don't mean anything. The players never gain any momentum. I have – I have promoted and tried to talk to them about doing a short eight-week team season in the fall. Do whatever you want to do. Come out on Friday nights, sell hot dogs, have kids out there, have a 15-match, dual-match season. However, right after Thanksgiving, 
The perfect thing would be let's start our individual season. You go have a clay court national, you have an indoor national, you have a uh, All-American Outdoor National, and you have the NCAAs. You could have the Grand Slam of college tennis and build satellites around that. But these guys who are number two guys, these are, num- these are number two guys running the organization. They don't see it, and it's not their idea, so they're not going to buy into it. But that's the way we save college tennis. High school tennis, John, you can do your dual match season, but my proposal would be every first weekend or last weekend of the month, you get eight schools together and you have an open tournament weekend. Therefore, you might play five or six dual matches in the month of March or April. Then at the end of the month, You have eight schools from your district or some from out of your district. You have eight schools or six schools or four schools. You meet Friday afternoon. You play Friday afternoon, Saturday, and afternoon on Sunday. You do a three-day event. And therefore, if I'm the number, if I'm Johnny, Johnny Smith and I play number five on the Palmetto Springs high school team, and I'm just dying to show I can do better than number five, I have a chance to springboard my career. And you could, John, in high school, you could play four or five tournaments during the same season. Keep your dual match season, but have four or five tournaments. And, uh, John, I think that would go a long way. But people have to understand, and the last point I want to make about that, and then before we go into small-town tennis, John – if if people would understand the importance of tournament tennis for player development and get a hybrid format like that, uh, it could be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and uh, it would you would have your best players wanting to play again. You'd have them wanting to play tournament. But team tennis is for participation. Tournament tennis is for performance. And participation does not breed excellence. Excellence and performance will breed participation, and that's a philosophical thing. So um, does that make sense? I agree with you, and I think we get in your next topic is important because I think we, we have to get more people thinking and discussing. Of course, I'm... Telling myself, but I go back, and I at a time when we had a graph, and I and I think we lost out on a lot of uh, things. I think it's part of society's problem today. But one of the great uh, general general Patton in Europe once sitting down at a table making a proposal, and everybody shook their head and says, "Yeah, that's good." And he says, "If we're all thinking alike, half of you aren't thinking. That's not good." And I think, unfortunately, right now the USTA has a position. They do an outstanding job with recreational tennis. They do an outstanding job. My complaint is they've taken that into the high schools, and they they only subsidize for recreation. So we're not – competition to me is not a bad word. But I don't understand. No. I do have a, an idea with small-town tennis that I think – I'd like to see you dis- hear you discuss a little because I-, I think there's some important issues there. Well, you said something that's really important again, and if you have top-down management, the people act and think like we're smarter than everybody else. And I'm going to tell you, USTA guys, I'm sorry. I'm addressing issues in the USTA and there's somebody down there that's a director of screw up that needs to get a raise because <laughs> you got you guys are you you guys are wasting more talent than anybody in the history of mankind. And as a coach, there you should be taken I've always believed if I have a good athlete and somebody that really loves the sport if I don't develop that talent, I should be taken out and horsewhipped. I believe that I should be 
I, I, I believe that strongly that you have a responsibility as a teacher. If, you, if you're a teacher, I don't care if you're a high school teacher in English, math, or science, if you have somebody that's, that's got a good mind, shame on you if you don't develop that. If you're a coach and you allow this great sport to just be an activity instead of a tough, tough sport that it is, shame, it's shameful, shame on you. And you can say, oh, I, it's, it's inexcusable. I'm getting ready to be a head Little League baseball coach for the first time in my life. Last year I did my stint as a, an assistant coach. I only got to coach third base once, so I'm new at this. But I will have 11-year-old, 11-year-old and 12-year-old kids, and if I do not do a good job with each and every one of those children and give my best, it's shameful. And if you have a kid that's special, you have a responsibility to try to bring that talent out. So I don't know who you are, director of screw-up down there, but, but uh, USTA head, you need to give them a raise. They're doing a good job at screwing up a lot of talent. And in the ITA, ah, I mean, it's just what the arrogance, John. These guys, 142 years we've used traditional scoring. 142 years. Now, all of a sudden, these guys are so smart, they're going to use no-ad scoring. Do you know they almost put in a thing we started calling it the Bullwinkle system. We mocked it, a bunch of coaches, because they were going to do one ad. This guy, this uh, one of the up in this uh, I'm okay, you're not okay type of school, uh, this school, this coach came up with this thing called one ad, okay? So another said no ad. You're allowed to have one ad, and if 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 you tie it up again, then it's no. It's ludicrous. How do these people think that they are allowed to change the whole structure of our sport of tennis? How in the world do they think the tiebreaker to satisfy the third set of a match is at all something that will develop a player's interest in the sport? And, and how is this possible that we have people that get in leadership positions? Or, or lead, where, where, I mean, where do they get off doing this? You know, it's like we have a guy who's in charge of the ITA who was a, you know, music director. Now, I love music. I, I've loved classical music my whole life. I can't play anything. But I couldn't walk into a head of a collegiate music program and say I need to be in charge because I'm an appreciator of of music. It, it's just unbelievable. I mean, and so this is what we've got. And, and John, it's it's just so disappointing, upsetting. So uh, it's so let's move on. They don't on. understand the history of the game. They don't have respect for the history of the game. They don't, they don't under, I don't think they have a stabilized philosophy like you talked about yesterday. And that's, I think that's the danger of moving these people in and out. Correct. Correct. They don't understand the history of the game. And unless you're in the game a lot of years, you don't appreciate it. And, you know, um, there's an old, I heard a talk many, many years ago, actually it was a tennis talk in Atlanta. I wish I could remember the guy. It was a brilliant talk. But he said people are motivated for six reasons. Financial reward is one. Material reward is another. Appreciation, association, self-improvement, and service to others. And his whole talk was if you want to be a teacher, the financial reward and the, or the material reward should not come first. It was, a, it was wonderful. If you want to be a teacher, it's service to others, and then you get some appreciation. You get association, and these are the things we get out of tennis. But what when the marketeers came in, you, people start going after financial reward, material reward, and they try to elevate their own status through the sport. And when you try – I preach to my youngsters work for mastery, not success. If you work for just success, you'll never get mastery. If you work for mastery, you'll you'll learn to love the sport and you'll get success as well. If you honor the sport, it will honor you. So yeah, anyhow, we've just look. We've just usually you get the wrong people. You, you know, we don't. We need the servant, servant, and the service type people in their sport, not the people who 
are just trying to be self-promoters. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about Small Town Tennis USA before we run out of time here, John. Uh, would you like for me to sort of throw it out there and maybe some of the people out there would be get interested in what we're going to try to do? I, I would like you to throw it out because I think that, okay. right. you know, I think we're going the wrong direction okay. now. And I, and hopefully what we're going to do is get enough people challenged. And I give them the opportunity. Email me. If you disagree with us, we want to hear from you. Let's, you know, let's talk about it anyway. If we don't talk right. about yeah, it. My, my, my email is Chuck Creasy at Gmail. Chuck Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E, like Bob Greasy but with a K. K-R-I-E-S-E at Gmail. Shoot me an email. I've gotten a few uh, the last couple weeks uh, with good comments, and I'll email you back. We need to get the discussion rolling, though. Another sleeping giant beside high school tennis and college tennis, John, are small towns in America. Towns of less than 50,000 people have been the homes and the starting places of over 72 or 3 percent of our professional athletes. Now, this, this may seem strange to some people, but the large metropolitan areas are not the breeding place of professional athletes. Usually they're the smaller towns. And if you think about it, it makes sense. If you grew up in a small town, what becomes important to you? Is it going to the professional game with at the Knicks or the Nets or the Lakers or, or is it going snow skiing or is it something? No, it's it's usually I want to be good in a sport, and our, our sports are nurtured in schools of small towns, and usually you will see a lot of baseball. Everybody's got a lot of there's tremendous amount. Well, I've learned so much about baseball, but the amount of baseball players in the small towns, it's fantastic in football and basketball. So tennis is dwarfed because they're very, they're, they're, we don't do a good job in the small towns, and the obvious reasons are that, wait, who's the teacher? If who do, who do we have as teachers of tennis right now? The pros will go to a bigger city or a resort because they make money. In the small towns, you became you become it's more than you become a servant. <laughs> it's not about service. You become a servant basically, and. Uh, you really have to have a selfless person in there. And then usually you have a high school coach that, that scraps and does what they can do. Sometimes you have a football coach or a basketball coach that get a, a stipend of 500 bucks to coach the whole year. And uh, really tennis is a, is a different kind of a sport, coaching. And some just basically bail out. Other people learn about it and do the best they can with what they've got. And uh, we can we can have a, we have a solution. I, now I've presented this solution actually to one of our professional organizations, and uh, we're going to try to do a trial program if we can this summer. We're going to try to get it off the ground. We're going to try to do a trial program in uh, the states of Indiana, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia. And if we can get four small towns in each of those, that would be sixteen towns. When those 16 towns, if we get good feedback, those 16 can be four times 16 next year, and then four times, four times, four times 16 the next year. And uh, but we just need um, people to jump in and to help. So here's the idea. I've coached college tennis now. This has been 40 years since I started in 1975. 40 season, look, gosh, it's been 42 seasons, I guess. So anyhow, the long story short is we always have guys on our team like our number 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 player. And uh, all of these uh, kids love tennis. And uh, the thing is they love tennis, and they would love to have a summer job in tennis, but they're never going to be professional players. So my idea is you take – and, John, are you still there? I'm getting beeped here. Yes, I there? am. No, you keep talking. Okay, I, don't, I don't want right, to interrupt you with this. All right. I'll yell when okay. I need to. The, uh, so what we do is we take my number six guy at the Citadel or number tw- eight guy at Clemson or the number five kid at South Carolina in their freshman, sophomore summers. We say, listen – Let's put you in St. George, South Carolina, at the community center. They've got a lady there doing a great job in teaching tennis. And let's um, 
you're going to be in charge of tennis for 10 weeks in St. George, South Carolina. So you work through the community center. Community center pays the kid a couple hundred bucks a week, but he's in charge of the program. He gets certified. We certify him PTR certification. I'd like to do that. You know, I like PTR better than USPTA. Sorry, guys, down there. USPTA, you guys are in cahoots with USTA right now, and I'm not not a fan. Uh, you guys are, you know, look like company men down there, company women, company men. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> I like the PTR. The PTR, so you can go get certified. You do a little bit of training. You go there. You're in charge. You're in charge for 10 weeks, you get room, board, and experience and make a couple hundred bucks a week. And guess what? All the kids in that community, you, your job is to turn them on to tennis and get them on fire. Now, John, I got this idea because I think back to when I was 19 years old. I had a job in Indianapolis, Indiana. I drove my car around to 10 parks a week, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, five days a week. I got paid $2 an hour. And I made 80 bucks a week. And, but you know what, John? I was in charge. I got to uh, go there. And some places I had one or two kids. Other places I had 30 kids. But I was in charge of teaching those kids how to play tennis. I fell in love with it. And, by the way, after that, I became a student of the game. I became a better player. And I became a better student of the game. And one thing led to another. And I got to teach tennis. And then I got to coach tennis. What we're doing now is so wrong. Again, there's a director of screw-up somewhere that doesn't think through this, but you cannot just go certify people and say fall in love with tennis. And people who come back off of the tour and they want to go teach tennis, guess what? Not all of them have a gift to teach. A lot of people who are your best players do not become your best teachers because they cannot empathize nor do they understand what it feels like to not be a good player but these guys uh, who are six seven and eight on their team college team if they go out there and they teach in the summer they fall in love with it we had a pilot program two summers ago in south georgia with a kid and kid it was fantastic experience for everybody and uh so folks small tennis usta and usta guys if you guys are listening you're sinking all your money into inner city, and a lot of it might be political for one reason or another, but you're sinking all your money into inner city. And that ain't where it's at, folks. That ain't where it's at. Inner city kids want to fit in, okay? They don't want to stand out. They want to fit in. So tennis is not the coolest thing around. In small town, kids want to stand out and get out. And uh, we small town tennis USA is where it's at, folks. So if you've got any well, other like idea, to... email me at Chuck Creasy at Gmail. Chuck Creasy at Gmail. And folks, give me your ideas because we want to get this pilot program going. And folks, let's stand up for traditional scoring. Sorry, John, go ahead. What? What do you want to uh, jump just in? Saying, I would like to uh, get the input, see what it is. I think it sounds like, well, for, to begin with, let's discuss everything. I think we shut down too many uh, uh, new ideas because, well, it doesn't fit into what we're doing. But I think it's a worthwhile thing. I worry about can those little towns afford to pay that person the $200 a week. John, like John, to... John, come on, come on, whoa, 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 whoa. John, John, stop, stop, stop. John, John, don't even go there. 200 bucks a week. Room, board, and experience. Give the, give the person a place to stay. They're going to be, they're going to have insurance for liability reasons. The only thing that people worry about now is liability. So let's get the insurance. Pay them a couple hundred bucks a week. Is there any college kid out there that wouldn't want to do, yeah, a few? But is there any community center out there that wouldn't pay 200 bucks a week to some some college player to get them off and running? I, I mean, I have, it, 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 I, I might. hope not, but I just don't know. I hope not, Coach. Uh, John, I, John I, let's start with the end know. in mind, the Stephen Covey thing. You work backwards. we got to get these small-town tennis playing. The reason they don't play is because that. there's no teachers and, and there's no access to teaching. 
and somebody doesn't stir the pot and get the enthusiasm going. Once you get it going, kids get on fire for this sport. This sport is addicting in the right way. Once kids fall in love with it and you get the hook in their mouth, it's Katie bar the door, John. It is Katie bar the door. It It is really a beautiful thing when kids fall in love with this sport. You know what it is? It's well, not I about agree, ranking. I it's not about height. I'd, I'd like to find uh, – hopefully you'll keep me abreast of as we go – you know, with that, because yeah. hopefully, I pray we get it off the ground. Uh, I would like to see, you know, what the towns are saying and everything. And uh, and can we get help from, I just, you know, God, I hate to be negative, and I'm not an anti-USTA person, and I'm not even, a, a, I'm not an anti-USTA person. Hey, I, hey, I, I am USTA. I'm anti-USTA. <laughs> guys, don't be afraid of USP. Guys, don't be afraid of that. Is a they are an organization. They are they do not own tennis. They don't own tennis. Who owns tennis? The I, the ITA is a lobbyist group. The ITA is a union. The USTA charges money to belong, so they are a lobbyist group. They need to be a service organization. Why do they put a head tax? Say you try to run a tournament. Try to run a tournament, folks. You know, USTA charges a head tax on every kid you have. They come in like Big Brother, and they dictate to you. They mandate. I heard a funny thing today. It's looks like, you know, liberals or USTA people don't care what you do unless the, unless it's they, they, just as long as it's mandated. You know, I mean, it's it's just USTA wants you to do stuff, but it has to be mandated by them. You know, so uh, – I'll tell I'll tell you you know USTA shame on shame on you guys for all the resources you have and the you know what there's good people but you're underachieving guys sorry well I agree, I agree with that they're underachieving I think in competition and I believe competition when kids get out of high school they're going to compete the rest of their life and I think we're doing a disservice to the public. We don't help them prepare to go out and compete. I don't think we'd have half the problem. No, today. they're marketeers. All they care about but they is they do numbers. do a good they're job market- with recreational tennis. I mean, they are. They, yeah, they bring the people there. in. The problem is there's no separation. That I, in my opinion, the problem is there isn't a separation. Uh, no. But we have they, to think we got really, like you said, as individuals. And, and in fairness to the USPTA, they started a high school um, tennis program at a just about a nothing program, and the amount of high schools that participated in it, it was shameful. Uh, and I've been a PTR member for what, close to 30 years, and uh, they haven't done that. And I love the PTR, uh, you know, uh, but. Uh, you know, there's good and bad in and everything, and I think we have to good, uh, good people, bad good people, bad bureaucracies. The bureaucracy uh, smothers stuff. You you cannot you you will never be inspired by the work of a bureaucracy. You get inspired by individual uh, you know individuals doing great jobs from bottom up. Look, USTA, you guys, PTR, PT. You guys need to run events that that basically we do not – we need incentivization, incentives. We do not need systems. I don't – you're not going to ever be inspired by a system, a pathway. This is the way you do it. I am smarter than you. You know, we need innovation. <laughs> we need John, you got me at the uh, end of the day, buddy. I couldn't and, agree with you. And I've had a long day, so. About it. Yeah. Yeah, you get I think about, I mean, I pray that happens because I love the small Browns, and I think you talked about yeah. music. I think it was Les Brown who says, helping others achieve their dreams, and you will achieve yours. So, I mean, I'd love yeah. to see yeah. that small town. Uh, I, I do think we're going to need a little assistance. When I say we, and I don't mean to, this is what I'm saying, I'm not looking to fight you. I'm looking to join you. 
But I don't know if the small town is going to be able to do it on their own. I think the, the USTA. John, John, quick, USTA look at, help a little. Look at the, don't look at the pitfalls. Look at what needs to happen. Do you think we're going to get it done in the inner cities? We've been trying. We've been throwing money at this stuff forever. You know, we need we need things to grow exponentially. All of us. I'd like to say the last thing. All of us are in this. Anybody that loves tennis is in this. Remember, USTA does not own tennis. Nobody owns tennis. The ITA does not own college tennis. These are these are organizations set up, and they've become bureaucratical, and they've become imposing, and now they are a coercive leadership management mandating people organizations. So that everybody out there needs to really. Just see, how can I help the youngster in front of me? How can I help people fall in love with tennis? How can I in initiate my own my own deal? With that, last thing, John, is we got to make tennis less expensive. And, again, the Great. profiteers, the, the we, we don't need all these referees. I'm writing an article, folks. Look, I'm, I'm about done with it, but basically it's about the fact that we, we can get along without the referees. I've got a thing. Uh, I came up with, and it is called Fair Play Coach, Line Call Coach, System. I have to interrupt you there because I need you for two things. I've got to do some stuff, but I, what you're talking about, I agree we don't need the referees. And right now, for $200, you can get your court to do this. They've been doing this in France. Uh, Silicon Valley has just put out a product. You put it on the court, and it sends out a beep if the ball is gone. So if you disagree yeah, with yeah. me, we well, all we need, hey, hey, John, so we all don't we need, need is the, the code. All, hey, all we need is the code. We never had problems. Look, guys, we never had co we never had referees in college tennis my first, until about 1985, my first 10 years. All those years, don't tell me it wasn't competitive. But the sportsmanship, and we taught the honor of the game, just like golf does. Golfers will call grounding their club on themselves, you know, and they, uh, it, it's amazing the honor that sport of golf has. And with the more referees we have, more police on every corner, the more we, we get our little kids to act like little jerks and try to manipulate the rules you know, and instead of just doing what's honorable to the person across coach, the other we side. We the whole the hour, Coach, I, I only have two minutes. I Good. do have to sit All there right. and remind everybody that uh, next week is the third uh, Thursday of the month, and uh, that means that uh, sports psychologist uh, Dr. John Murray will be with us. Um, you're going to hear things that you're going to like, like I heard most of the stuff that I heard today. I, I'm 100% behind. There's some things that I'm still uh, uh, leery of. But if we don't discuss it, if, we don't, if we're afraid to discuss ideas, then shame on us. Yep. Just shame on us. Yep. We deserve. Uh, well, John, I, I'm glad we to be on, and, and i got to – and thank you. Thank, just thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, Coach. I look forward to next month's uh, conversation together. I appreciate you changing your topic today because I think it is an, an important topic. I would ask you to read this issue, of, well, read every issue of Florida Tennis uh, Magazine, but my two articles – uh, this issue talk about, I will be asked the question, is high school tennis after school sport or an after school activity? Uh, people tell me I'm a dreamer. You're just, you, we're not going to change this. If you make up your mind, we're not going to change it. You're right, but we can. Uh, I'd also right. like to change Team Connection. I'd like to thank them. I'm sorry. Um, they are our Team Clothier. Uh, we appreciate that. And Wilson uh, Sports, 100 years. And I remember, I've seen uh, over 75 years of what they're doing. I wish I could be around for the next 100 years. I know they're going to do great things. And uh, Flagler Insurance and uh, District 15 NJTL, uh, 20 years of uh, offer and services. And those of you that aren't working young 10 and under,
wonder, kids, you're missing out. It's 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 rewarding. Uh, there's nothing like having a kid wrapping their legs around you, and you know when you walk onto the tennis courts because they love what you're doing. And I think it's just as important as working uh, with that person trying to develop the game in a high performance way. Thank you all. Please have a blessed week. I look forward to talking with you next week and tell your friends. Bye now.